Assalamu alaikum wa Peace be upon you and hello and welcome to the breakfast show on uh, Wednesday. And today, today we are going to present uh, two topics as usual. And then the first hour, the first, you can say, 10 to 15 minutes is going to be the news. And then we'll start off with our main topics. And the topics for today are the teacher strike and what will be the impact and the second topic we have on our list is the related to the in the young in the babies that uh, the umbilical stem cells are being used to save the baby's lives now in just a few moments i'll give you the rundown of the weather and then we'll start off with the news so yeah so today is going to be a bit windy day with showers persisting in the northern ireland southern scotland and northern england sunshine and vari- variable cloud elsewhere chance of patchy patchy rain later in far south western england is mild and tonight is going to be showered until and will turn lighter and ease for most with just the odd showers remaining in the south scotland clear spells for many but turning wet in southwest and northern england northern ireland towards dawn and this is that's the the weather for you and let's just begin with the news so the first news that i have on my list is that the temperatures uh, in this winter surprisingly in some parts of europe have been more than or higher than the normal the average temperature that uh, that this time of the year as reported that uh, countries such as Poland and Spain especially in Poland it was reported that in some areas it was 18.9 degrees Celsius and Spain was in Spain it was 25.1 degrees Celsius which is obviously above the average so the mild European weather comes across comes as the North America faces more severe storms so in the North Amer- northern america it's the other way around and uh, days after a deadly weather cold snap left more than 60 dead and heavy storm and freezing rain have been forecast for parts of northern uh, midwest while severe thunderstorms and tornadoes are expected in texas oklahoma and other states of the usa such as louisiana as well but on the European side of the Atlantic, the weather has been um, balmy for many places at the start of the year. Temperatures in Netherlands and Lithuania, Latvia, Czech Republic and Poland, Denmark broke national records. Now, furthermore, it says that the temperature recorded in Warsaw, which is the capital of Poland, on 1st of January was 4 degrees Celsius higher than the previous record for the month and in belarus the record high temperature was 16.4 degrees celsius and some 4.5 degrees higher than the previous and in spain the new year's temperatures uh, were equivalent to the average in july and the parts of catalonia including barcelona are subject to restrictions on water use as well so now the records are broken all the time but this is an unusual difference to be more than a few uh, but less of tens of degrees 
more than the normal. Now in Switzerland also the temperatures hit 20 degrees Celsius and warm weather was affected when people had to ski across the Alps. And it's not all, they say it's not all warm in Europe though, that the colder temperatures and snow are also forecast in the Scandinavia, Moscow, uh, is expected to drop to 20 degrees Celsius by this weekend. And just days earlier, UK, Ireland, France and Spain have declared their hottest year on record. And uh, in the and they say that the heat wave have become more frequent, more intense and last longer because of human-inducted climate change. And the other news we have on the list is that... Uh, the Prime Minister of UK wants uh, the pupils in England to study maths until they are 18. So the aim will aim the aim will be that in future in, in the future in the uh, Prime Minister Sunak's speech of 2023 will which he will use to uh, set out the, his promises for the for this year. Uh, he, his speech will come amid a winter of multiple strikes, critical in incidents in several NHS trusts and cost of living crisis. Now, Mr. S uh, now the Mr. Sunak is said to have reported that uh, is, is, uh, Yet in the world where the the data is everywhere and the statistics underpin every job, our children's job will be will require more analytic skills than ever before. Uh, and furthermore, it says that and letting our children out in the world without those skills is letting our children drown, uh, down. And he says that just half of 16 to 19 years old study maths according to. Uh, the Prime Minister, but this figure includes people do, doing science courses and those who are already doing compulsory GCSC uh, resets in the college. It is not clear what the plans will mean for students who wish to study humanities or create arts. Uh, qualifications include the BTECs. No new qualifications are immediately planned and there are no plans to make A-levels compulsory. The government is instead exploring and expanding, exis, uh, ex exiting the qualifications as well as more initiative options. A 10 Downing Street spokesperson said in a statement that, uh, uh, in, in said that in the statement. Now, the Prime Minister is expected to begin working on the plan in this Parliament and finish it after the next general election, according to the statement. And uh, it says that the, the autumn statement unveiled that an extra 2.3 billion in core school funding for 5 to 16 years old over the next two years and re re the furthermore it says that uh, no extra funding was given to the further uh, education col uh, education colleges which educate more 
of the many of the most you can say disadvantaged 16 to 18 years old nor the sixth form colleges and uh, the next news we have on our list is actually from the sports that uh, in fact two incidents have just happened in the recent past firstly that uh, the brazilian legend uh, pele he died and his funeral just happened and now and the other news which i have is that the indian cricketer uh, rishabh pant uh, suffered an accident last friday he was rescued by the roadways employee Sushil Kumar who was on the bus on the opposite side of the road when the accident occurred and uh, Sushil the conductor of the dra- uh, the bus also helped Pant out of the car now the 24 year old indian cricketer is being treated for multiple injuries at a hospital but his the good news is that his mri scan is mm, was normal and his sta- condition as if now is stable and uh, didn't suffer a lot of injuries now the accident occurred according to what's been reported is at 5:30 a.m. and this is according to the police when pants car hit the divider of the road and flipped over he was going towards his hometown roorkee in uttarakhand from the indian capital of uh, delhi and uh, the the kumar the bus driver reported that uh, he's uh, that uh, he says that i am the driver with uh, haryana roadways and our, our bus left maharidwar at 4:25 am in the morning i was on my way when i saw the car being driven at a lot of speed and get off balance got off balance and crash into the divider after the impact the car landed on the wrong side of the road the one that goes to delhi the car had screeched onto the second lane of the road seeing which i immediately applied the brakes the car had already caught sparks so i and the conductor rushed to get him off the car by then the fire had started then three more people came running and joined in to save the cricketer now it says that uh, i called in the national highway and no one answered then i rang the police and the conductor also called the ambulance as well and uh, he off and he offered him some water after regrouping he told uh, that he is uh, the cricketer shapant and I, as a, he says that i don't follow cricket so i didn't know who Uh, he was but my conductor he told me that uh, he is an indian cricketer now also it's he says that uh, the furthermore says that he gave us his mother's number we called her and um, on the phone and but the phone was switched off and then the ambulance arrived 15 minutes later and we that they took him to the hospital now uh, as a fanao pant uh, rishapant he is stable and there's uh, there's no threat to his life but he still you can say injured and recovering so we will hope to see him back and playing soon and the other bit of news that i have 
today is the the Jamaati news. So, <clears throat> so the Ahmadiyya Muslim community promotes the unity at Religious Founders Day in Leicester. Uh, it says that on the 19th November 2022, uh, Jamaat Ahmadiyya Leicester organized Religious Founders Day event via Zoom under the theme "Is a Religion a Source of Unity or Conflict?" Like the previous year, the event was organized as part of the UK's Interfaith Week celebration. However, the theme of this year's event was more critical, more crucial given the recent community disturbance in Leicester between the, you can say, the two uh, members of the religious communities like the Muslims and the Hindus. And uh, the event began with the recitation of the Holy Quran followed by the welcome address by the one who's writing the article and this was followed by the video introduced by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and introduced introduction to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the system of Khilafat and the first guest speaker that was representing the was from the Sikh community Mr. Resham Sandhu Saab who also served serve as Deputy Lord and Lieutenant of Leicester. In his speech, he called on the members of the various religious communities to lead by example and called for the need for more religious dialogue to foster uh, the cohesive relationship. He also praised the exemplary role of the, our community in spreading the love and promoting peace and furthermore, it says that the second speaker that they had was Mr. Alistair Jackson from the Quaker meeting. He started by introducing the background of the Quakers meeting and how the worship is organized by them. He then moved on to tackle the theme by highlighting that religion had unfortunately been used as a tool by some throughout the history to wage war and to persecute others. However, however, he said that this was the mis misrepresentation of the true objective of the religion. And that's it for the news from today. And uh, we're going to start off with our topic of the day. The first topic that we have is the teacher strike and what will be the impact now the the person we will be talking to further uh, in later on in the show is going to be mr alistair wood adapt and he says that it says that alistair Wood is chief executive and co-founder of the ADAPT and he was teacher for 15 years during which he founded uh, the ADAPT with other teaching colleagues in 2011. ADAPT provides teachers and school staff with professional casework services and edu legal support in individual employment dis uh, disputes and allegations. They are uh, independent meaning that their subscribers do not engage in industrial action 
they are apolitical and uh, that's the introduction for the guest we'll be speaking to later on in the show and uh, let's start with the actual the gist of the story that we have is that uh, teachers in Scotland are prepared to strike again over the coming weeks which will mean more disruption for the students and teachers in UK are also considered considering the industrial action over pay. In Scotland, the national teaching strike will occur on the 10th and 11th of January. One of the days is the primary schools and the other on the, for the secondary schools. On the 24th of November, almost every primary and secondary school in Scotland was closed as a result of national strike which carried out by the members of the Education Institute of Scotland, EIS, and the Association of the Head Teachers and the Deputies of Scotland, AHDS. And uh, now the other the question here arises is that why are they striking? So the main reason why they are the teachers are striking is because of pay. Now in Scotland, teachers were demanding a 10% increase in pay and refused the 5% increase offered to them. Another offer, another offer put forward which was designed to prevent national strikes was also rejected and described as uh, insulting even by the EIS and uh, the majority of the state schools in England, Wales in England and Wales have received 5% increase by, uh, this year, whilst those teachers in Northern Ireland have offered have been offered 3.2% over the past two years. The unions state that because of inflation soaring, more than 11% of those supposed to pay supposed pay increases are actual pay cuts, and the impact will have on the students is that the schools may close if teachers decide to strike. In Scotland, the local councils will decide on this. In England, the head teacher decide, head teachers decide whether schools close as there is no minimum staffing rules. And in Wales, the head teachers are also re- uh, responsible in consola- uh, consultation with local authorities. The closed schools will occur uh, will incur healthcare burdens on parents who may have to take time off work to care for their children. In England, Scotland, and Wales, you have the right to take time off work to help an dependent. Uh, however, you may not get paid under this rule. And uh, the Islamic perspective. Uh, regarding the uh, the topic is that the Holy Quran it says in the Holy Quran that uh, oh my Lord increase me in my knowledge this is from chapter 20 and verse 115 and furthermore it says that uh, the another prayer which has been taught by the uh, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him is that, O oh Allah, I ask you for the knowledge the beneficial, that is beneficial and goodly provision and deeds that are accepted to, acceptable to you 
and this is a tradition reported um, by the scholars of the hadith and which teaches us that knowledge is important and furthermore there's another narration which goes by the the and the arabic words are that utlubul ilma walau bisween and furthermore it says in the same you can say uh, the tradition that talabul ilmi faridatun ala kulli muslimin so the translation is that seek knowledge even if you have to visit a country as far off as china to gain knowledge and the reason why you need to do that is that it's incumbent upon every muslim to seek knowledge so this hadith that which i have uh, which this narration which i have just uh, narrated uh, perfectly explains the fact that it's incumbent upon muslims to gain knowledge about everything in the this were not just religious knowledge but the knowledge which is uh, which has got to do with the society the community the economics and uh, science and obviously religion as well so in in every shape or form you need to gain knowledge which is the main gist of islam and uh, I have another excerpt from the address delivered by Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed the head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community at the UNESCO headquarters in Paris France in October 2019 in addition and he says that uh, in addition to the prophet of Islam peace and blessings of Allah be upon him established an excellent education system through which the intellectual standards of the society were raised L- liter- literate and well educated people were instructed to teach the illiterate special measures special measures were put in place to provide the education to orphans and the other valuable members of the society this was all done to uh, so that the weak and the powerless could stand for their own now I've just been told that uh, the guest uh, Alistair Wood is with us today. Alistair, Hi, are you with us? Thank you very much for having me on. Hi there, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah I can hear you. Great. Thanks okay. for, for having me on today. Really looking forward to speaking to you guys. Oh, yeah, thanks for that and hope you are doing well. Now, we're going to have a bunch of questions. Is, is that all right if I ask you a bunch of questions? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the first question we have today is that uh, uh, could you just outline your aims as an organisation? So um, yeah. So my name is Alistair Wood. I'm a former teacher. Um, okay. And along with some other teachers in 2012, we set up an organisation called Adapt, um, and we're all about supporting teachers and those working in education. Uh, the education world is quite a complicated one with lots of specific laws and regulations surrounding employment, which are quite hard to uh, pick apart without expert help. And unfortunately, teaching is a profession which comes with certain risks too, um, whether that be something like an unfounded allegation or, you know, in extreme cases, kind of physical assault. Um, 
So it's therefore kind of seen as necessary for teachers to seek a form of edu legal support in the event that they need advice or face an adverse situation. And without it, legal costs can run into the thousands of pounds. So traditionally, this legal support has always been provided by the trade union, uh, such as the NEU and NASUWT, along with other functions. However, what we've seen in, over the past 10 years or so is the emergence of other organisations performing some of those functions. So unions tend to do three things. They do the collective voice, uh, pay bargaining, advocacy and political lobbying. Um, they do professional development and training, and they also do the edu legal support. And what we found when we set up the organisation was that the number one reason teachers joined the union was because of that edu legal support. So we set out to kind of disentangle that away from the political side of the unions and provide a specialist service that only focuses on that. And similarly, we've seen other organisations such as the Charter College of Teaching and National Institute of Teaching providing some of those other functions such as the professional development uh, training. So at the moment, ADAPT is the only alternative to the trade unions in providing that edu legal support. And ultimately, we're about supporting teachers and, and those working in education with professional support. Okay, so you explained it well. Um, it's uh, too much information for me to process right now, but I've, I've understood the gist of it. Sorry. So yeah, I've got the gist of it. Now, the next question that we have is that why are teachers' uh, strikes happening uh, nowadays then? And what are gonna, what's going to be the yeah. outcome of these strikes then? Yeah, so I think with all of the disputes going on at the moment in the economy, um, I think the situation is often more complex than what we might see portrayed day to day. And within teaching, that's certainly the case. Um, so strikes so far have only happened in Scotland, um, but the current largest teaching unions in England and Wales are, are balloting their members for strike action. And we should find out the results of those um, ballots next week. Um, and we, we've got what we've got there is got the two biggest teaching unions plus the head teachers union who have all balloted for strike action. And ultimately, what they're, they're balloting against is about pay, although there are other issues at, at, at play here as well. Um, to kind of summarise really briefly, um, yeah. teachers' pay is set by a group called the School Teachers Review Body who uh, follow a little bit of guidance from the government. Uh, and in July last year, they published a proposal to increase teachers' pay by 5%. Um, across all of the pay ranges, uh, with perhaps slightly more for some of the lower pay ranges. Um, where the unions and, and teachers have, have taken issue with this is that obviously inflation and the cost of living crisis is, is happening and, and inflation is running about 11%. So that 5% rise obviously doesn't make up for that, that difference in, in the cost of living. Um, so on the back of that as well, you've also kind of got the kind of historical picture where teachers' pay has been frozen for uh, a number of years. And so um, a lot of that balancing action, a lot of that strike action is all about teachers' pay. Kind of coupled to that, you've also got recruitment and retention issues as well. So this year, the government um, set a target for recruitment of teachers and and those targets have not been met. So we're seeing a shortage of teachers in a number of areas, particular subjects like physics and computing. Um, so what unions are asking for in their uh, action is they want to have a, what they say is a fully funded pay reward equal to the rate of inflation. One of the things which doesn't get picked up so much 
um, in the in the press is that that the pay reward needs to be fully funded because at the moment that pay reward that's being proposed will have to be found from existing school budgets. So schools have not been given any extra money to fund that 5% pay reward. So what they're asking for is essentially an 11% pay reward, but also the money to fund that um, pay as well. Okay, and the other thing which I just wanted to clarify was that uh, um, uh, that some of the teachers might be against these strikes. So why is that? Any ideas? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons. That, like I say earlier, it's a, it's a complicated issue, and, and um, I don't think it's as, as simple as people being for and against the strikes. People obviously have very difficult um, decisions to make when it comes to that. So, I mean, some people just, uh, you know, morally are against striking in general. They just don't think it's the right thing to do. Um, there'll be some who feel that students' education has been disrupted enough by the pandemic and don't want to kind of add to that. Uh, and that's probably one of the main points that will be used against teachers, I would think, um, in doing that. Um, I think there's also the issue of affordability. So when you strike, you obviously don't get paid. So at a time when there's a cost of living crisis, uh, that becomes more of an issue for those who don't want to strike. And obviously, the the longer the strikes go on, the more difficult that becomes. Um, And then there's also the question of whether strikes are effective in actually changing policy. Um, And they might feel it's unlikely that the government are going to budge on that. so there's lots of different reasons, really, why people might not be striking as well. And finally, we the other question, Rich, is that what could be the impact of all these strikes acro- happening across the, you can say, the UK? So I think what we're seeing here is, is quite unusual in terms of the coordination between the unions. Like usually they're not quite so um, coordinated. And, and the idea of head teachers joining as well is, is very um, un, unusual for, for what's happened in the past. Um, obviously, we won't really know until the results of those um, ballots, which we'll find out next week. But if, you know, if we assume that they all vote for strike action, that will likely lead to widespread disruption within um, education. Um, but that will vary greatly from school to school, depending on their union membership. Uh, and it also depends on how the union decide to um, take that action, whether that's coordinated with other industries um, and unions in other industries, and also whether they do that all on the same day, whether they spread that out over a number of days. So there's still a lot of unknown about the full impact. Thank, thank you for joining us today, and it's been really informative. And hope to see you again soon. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on, and uh, have a great day. Yep, thanks. And so this was uh, Alistair. He, we were talking to him about the education problem that we are facing uh, in the UK, as in the strikes with the teachers. And furthermore, if I just continue with the Islamic perspective, uh, it says that, so yeah, so I was reading out the an extract from the address delivered by Hazrat Nizam Masoor Ahmed, the head of the Worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim Community. And he, yeah, so furthermore, he says that the... So the special measures were put in place to provide the education to orphans and the other vulnerable members of the society. 
This was all done so that the weak and the powerless could stand for their own stand on their own two feet and advance. Now he further mentions that certainly we believe the that access to education is key to breaking the cycle of poverty that has plunged economically weak countries for generations. We learn this from the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, who urged Muslims to fund and educate, fund the education of vulnerable members of the society such as the orphans. He taught that the spiritual advancement was, um, was linked to serving humanity and so a Muslim could not attain the love of God, God Almighty, just through worship and prayer. Rather, the love of God Almighty required Muslims to serve humanity. Thus, in chapter nine, uh, chapter 90, verse 15 to 17 of the Holy Quran, Muslims are instructed to work to eradicate hunger and poverty, to fill the needs of the orphans and to educate vulnerable and poor children so that the opportunities open up for them to develop. And as far as the Holy Quran is concerned, there are a number of verses which uh, clearly state that we need to have, we need to gain knowledge and of any sort, it doesn't matter, but we need to gain knowledge. And the other one more, you can say, the verse that I have right now is from chapter 35, verse 29, which is uh, the chapter, the name of the chapter is Fatir. And the translation of the verse is that, And of men and beasts and the cattle in like manner, there are various colors. Only those who, uh, those of his servants who possesses, who possess the knowledge, fear Allah. Verily, Allah is the mighty and the most forgiving. Now, the part which we need to keep in mind in this verse is that only those of his servants who possess knowledge fear Allah. So, it lays down the basis that in, even in in order to act upon the right teaching of Islam, you need to have knowledge. As in, you know what to do and what not to do. Only then you'll be able to fear Allah the way you should fear. As in, you would be attain, you'll be able to attain taqwa the way you should. So this is very important and illustrated by the Holy Quran itself. That even if you don't have knowledge, then you won't be able to act upon the right teachings of Islam. And furthermore, it says in the commentary of this verse that I'm just going to open it. And yep, there it is. It's in front of me. So this is that this the, the verse means to say that the kaleidoscopic variety in form of color and kind to which reference reference has been made is in the preceding verse does not only exist in flowers, fruits and others. It says, and furthermore it says that the words only those of his servants who possess knowledge fear God further lend weight to the view that these three words stand for three classes of men from among whom only those endowed with right knowledge fear God. 
and the knowledge here however does not necessarily mean spiritual knowledge but also the knowledge of the laws of nature a reverent study of nature and its laws in inevitably leads one to realize the great powers of god and consequently makes him hold god and uh, the teachings of his and to keep them in mind now this is from the five volume commentary and furthermore there's another uh, verse of the holy quran which indicates the fact that as i've just mentioned before as well that waqurrabi zidnilma that uh, o oh allah uh, say that o oh allah increase me in my knowledge so another verse so i've right now presented two verses which clearly show that we need to have knowledge and furthermore it says in the holy quran that the people who yeah so it says in the the second chapter that and uh, the second chapter of the holy quran starts off with the the words of alif lam mim and the the second the third verse which you could say is that zalik al kitabu la rayba fihi and it says that hudallil muttaqin now the translation of the this verse is or rather yeah so the translation is that this is the perfect book there's no doubt in it and there's guidance for the righteous and furthermore it says that who believe in the unseen and observe prayer and spend out of what we have provided for them now these are the, the translation of the verse 3 and 4 which i've just uh, you can say read out and uh, now the point here is that this is the guidance for the righteous and in order to be a righteous person you need to have knowledge now as i just you can say pondering over the fact that we need to have knowledge the importance of knowledge there's another verse which comes to my mind and the uh, the other thing which uh, we need to keep in mind that keep in mind that you, you you need to have some sort of background and some sort of arab uh, knowledge of arabic just to read the holy quran as well so it's not just the religious knowledge alone it just uh, that you can you can say prosper but in fact you need to have some sort of knowledge with the arabic as well and how did muslim got to know that that there's an there's a verse in the holy quran and i'm just going to read out the important bit of it and that is if i'm not quoting it wrong that inma yakhshallaha min ibadihi alulama now these are the uh, the arabic words and uh, the the another point which i came across was that if you read it um, by mistake if you read it like this that inma yakhshallahu then it in the translation would be that allah fears okay so god fears people and if you read it with the fatha that inma yakhshallaha it means that the people they fear god so the strokes that we have in the holy quran are actually as a result of the fact that uh, when islam spread people uh, from other nations joined in the fold of islam and obviously they had 
little to no knowledge of Arabic. So when they tried to read uh, the Holy Quran, they were not able to do that because uh, obviously the Arabic is a sensitive language and if you change the strokes and the, you can say the pronunciation changes and in any language if the pronunciation changes the meaning do change and over here the meaning changes drastically as in it's the complete opposite of it so the point here is and even if you want to learn and understand the Holy Quran you need to have some sort of knowledge you need to learn you need to strive for the fact that you need to um, just in order to understand the this beautiful book so knowledge and the emphasis that it uh, the Islam lays on it is massive as in there's uh, the, you need to learn knowledge in order to survive in this world basically this is what the it means and this is how important it is now I was just uh, uh, I just came across another fact in the, which is states in the Holy Quran itself that um, since we know the fact that uh, the Holy Quran is a comprehensive book but it's designed in a way that we can uh, memorize it and it's not very short but it's not too long as well so it's it's uh, precise enough that we can have one copy of it in one volume so it doesn't require like 20 or 50 volumes to be written down and one of the reasons is that it's uh, a comprehensive like I said it's a comprehensive book and it gives you the complete code of life but it doesn't give you details of every single thing which is mentioned in the Holy Quran and for example it says in the Holy Quran that you need to observe prayer and you need to pay charity now as far as charity is concerned it is covered in detail in the Holy Quran but if you want to know uh, if you want to learn about the this, uh, the Salat, the prayer of uh, Islam, you n- actually need to consult the narrations and the traditions of the Holy Prophet of Islam, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So in a way, the Holy Quran is demanding you to go and search for knowledge and learn knowledge how to actually pray. So uh, pl- uh, furthermore, it's, uh, someone was mentioning an Islamic scholar that from the Holy Quran he says according to him that only the timings of the prayer which uh, we pray five times a day now in the Holy Quran it only states three so for the further two we need to actually consult the hadith and it says in the Holy Quran itself that um, whatever the the Prophet of Allah gives you you take it and whatever he asks you to or he forbids you from don't do that so this is the verse of the Holy Quran and uh, it also says that it endorses the fact that we need to look upon the hadith and the, the, the sayings of the Holy Prophet and we need to gain knowledge from that and like I said uh, the details of the the prayer are not in the Holy Quran so it's naturally you can say it demands you to go out and to research do a bit of research now we will join in uh, after this news break for the further analysis of the knowledge and the importance of it war poverty famine disease oppression by dictators dispossessed 
and persecuted in Palestine, Yemen, Kashmir, and Myanmar. The series of indignities that the Muslim world faces are seemingly endless. Many Muslims look at these issues and blame others for them. They blame everyone but themselves. And whilst the perpetrators of the aforementioned suffering certainly do bear a significant portion of the blame, they are not the root cause of the problems of the Muslim world. They are the exploiters of the spiritual and moral degradation of the Muslims themselves. A structure well fortified and kept in good condition is not so easy to storm, but one that has become dilapidated and within which rot has taken hold is far easier to overcome. Thus, a significant portion of the blame must lie with the Muslim world itself, which has become misguided and fractured, such that it is ripe for abuse. This is a bitter pill that few Muslims are willing to swallow. This condition was foretold by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who warned us, There will come a time upon the people when nothing will remain of Islam except its name, and nothing will remain of the Qur'an except its words. Their mosques will be splendidly furnished, but destitute of guidance. Their scholars will be the worst people under heaven. Strife will issue from them and avert to them. So it is established on the authority of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, himself, that the underlying reason for the problems faced by the Ummah is the spiritual and moral malady that has overtaken it. This sickness that has taken hold of the Ummah is the root cause of all the worldly difficulties it faces, the economic, geopolitical, and indeed civilizational collapse facing Muslims everywhere. At this juncture, we have to ask ourselves, if God Almighty and His Prophet, peace be upon Him, have given us warning of our state at this time, were we not also given guidance as to the remedy? The answer, of course, is yes. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave the glad tidings that when the Muslim world was at its nadir, its lowest point, God would send a reformer and saviour. He said, I give you the glad tidings of the Mahdi, who will be raised in my ummah at a time of digression and distress. He will fill the earth with equity and justice as it was filled with oppression and violence. Thus, it is clear that a reformer and spiritual saviour would be raised for the age in which the Muslim world would be at its greatest need. The question that naturally arises now is who would such a person be? Since the reformer is given different titles in different traditions, sometimes being called Jesus and other times being referred to as the Mahdi, would it be multiple people or only one person fulfilling all of the prophecies? Again, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has already given us the answer. He said, There is no Mahdi except Isa, Jesus. And whosoever lives from among you shall meet Isa, son of Mary, who is the Imam Mahdi, the arbiter and the judge. This collapses the possibility of the emergence of different individuals and informs us to await a single person who would act in different capacities as both the Imam Mahdi and Jesus or Isa. So it should now be clear that we, the Ummah, are both in dire need of guidance and consolidation and that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, informed us that one person would be raised who would fulfill all of these needs. The next question that arises is when this person would be raised. 
Again, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave us clear guidance, indicating that this individual would appear around the 19th century. When 1,240 years have passed, God will raise the Mahdi. With all of these emergent questions remarkably satisfied for us by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, it is clear that at this time, as the Muslim world is at its lowest ebb, we are in the age of this promised Messiah who would also be the Imam Mahdi. He would fulfill the prophecies regarding Jesus, or Isa, and would arise around the late 19th century, in the same way as the first Jesus was sent to the Ummah of Moses as a reformer. The promised Messiah of this age, whose name was Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, of Qadian, has already come, when he was expected, making his claim in 1889. But most unfortunately for the majority of Muslims, they have yet to accept him. He was the one who was appointed in the spirit and title of Jesus and the Imam Mahdi, and he was the only claimant to this station in that expected time who lived to old age. And he fulfilled the prophecies regarding the Messiah and Mahdi during his life. Brothers and sisters in Islam, we all know that our religion, our lives, our nations, our offspring, our heritage are all under attack in various ways. Remember that none of these things can ever be restored and flourish, as they should, unless we Muslims accept the Imam that God has sent. This religion of ours was never a worldly tree, nor was the shade it afforded us crafted by worldly means. This final apex religion, which is our common heritage, was planted and watered by God himself, and likewise its reformation will not be from worldly processes, but through divine grace. So we urge you, open your hearts, reflect upon the situation of the Ummah and the need for the Messiah, and accept the person that God has appointed. Peace be upon you. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the breakfast show. We were analyzing the importance of the knowledge and gaining knowledge, and I've come across another piece of evidence which shows that we need to gain knowledge. In fact, the, there's a book written uh, with the name of uh, Sahih Bukhari, written by the Imam Bukhari, Muhammad bin Ismail. Bukhari was his name. And uh, now there's a tradition which I just mentioned earlier that uh, even if you have to go to China to learn knowledge, you need to do so. And the, why that? Why is that the Prophet of Allah, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, why did he mention it in such a way? Now, the, the point here is that uh, back in the days, even now as well, but back in the days especially, traveling to a country which is so far off as in a country like China, just a name, uh, any take any other country as an example so it took not just days but months because we know from the history of the Islam that it took you days just to roam around in the Arabian Peninsula so from the Arabian Peninsula to all the way to China would have taken months if not years and plus back in the days if you had to arrange for everything let's uh, so from food to you can say if you want to travel on foot it's going to take even more time if you have some sort of an animal you can ride on you need to buy that or well if you happen to have it you are a rich man already and 
you had to you can say spend a lot of time of your life just traveling just to get to that country in order to gain knowledge but as it says from this tradition that you need even if you have to do that go there and learn knowledge now the imam bukhari was a perfect example of this uh, hadith, uh, this narration he you can say he didn't go to china but still the struggles that he had to endure in order to gain knowledge are you can say in a way they illustrate perfectly that he was the one who did act upon this narration to its full now an incident which uh, i can remember is that he <coughs> from a very young age he wasn't from the the two main cities of makkah and medina he was as in he was born somewhere else and he came to the cities is came to the city and with his mother and some other relatives now as when he discovered that this uh, place is full of knowledge and of islam and he decided that okay i'm not going to go back so he in a way he just left his mother and other relatives and he said okay i'm going to i'm going to stay there and i'm going to learn about the knowledge, uh, the knowledge of islam and obviously as he was expert in the traditions of the holy prophet so he started gathering traditions of the holy prophet now he took him 16 years to compile the book and the important thing is that during the course of 16 years he acquired uh, over 100000 traditions okay so and not just that he memorized some according to some it's 6000 in num- 100000 in number according to some is 3000 number but anyways so the point here is that he memorized all of that and obviously it took him time to do that and after after memorizing all of those he selected 7000 out of those which he you can say he wrote down in this book now the other important thing is that he had many teachers and like i said back in the days it's not it's not that it was a school of uh, some, of some sort where teachers could come and teach he in fact had to go to different people in order to gain knowledge and in order to gain the knowledge of uh, the traditions now he would often meet his teachers in one area of the the islamic empire and then he had to travel all the way to the other area the other side of the empire just to uh, attain knowledge and furthermore it says that uh, he uh, on his way sometimes he had to endure some hardships as well and one incident i could remember is that once uh, some he was traveling in a boat and with other passengers as well and someone came to know that he is the uh, imam who is gathering uh, the traditions of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him now this man he he said that okay let's uh, try him out so he put him in a trial and so he said that uh, ma he now he knew that uh, the imam bukhari is carrying a lot of cash so he went up to the one of the the people who had owned the boat who was riding it that uh, he this person imam bukhari has stolen some money 
and of me and he still has it so go in and check on him now imam bukhari when he realized the fact that he has been reported of theft and he knew the fact that he that the work he is doing is so important that it all depends on how truthful you are as if you want if you are the imam who if you are the the person who is reporting the traditions of the prophet so you need to be a righteous man and you need to be um, truthful and if it is accused that you are a robber and you steal stuff then obviously all your work will be in vain and, and people won't believe in you because simply the fact that he in one side you're doing such a righteous work and on the other you are just um, you are uh, you stealing of someone so he dropped the cash that he had in the water and when they came in and checked on him and they searched him they found nothing now that person go now that person goes that after um, some time that uh, i know i knew the fact that you had uh, cash on you what did you do then how did you hide it and the imam bukhari replied that i didn't hide it i just threw it away in water and this shows you that he had to spend a lot of money he had to spend a lot of time effort everything he had to put in his uh everything in order to just to compile a book just to gain the islamic knowledge so in a way his life story indicates the fact that we need to be very good with the knowledge and this is the basis of islam uh, um, is knowledge and you need to be knowledgeable in order to uh, even just to act upon the teaching of islam and in in order to survive in this world now we let's move on to the next topic that we have on our list and the the gist of the story and the topic is that <coughs> umbilical stem cells used to save baby's life now the gist of, gist of the story is that a heart surgeon says he probably saved the life of a baby by carrying out the world's first operation using stem cells from the placenta's professor uh, caputo from the bristol heart foundation heart institute used pioneering stem cells injections to correct the baby finlay's heart defect now furthermore it says that uh, the stem cells have been used to save baby's life this baby fin finlay was born with the congenital heart disease in which the main arteries in the in his heart were the wrong way round the, these stem cells were obtained from the placentas the heart surgeon stated that this uh, was the world's first operation of such kind and professor caputo uh, caputo along with his team says that such operations and stem cell technology could save the nhs an estimated 30000 pounds and statistically in the uk around 13 babies get diagnosed with this heart disease and um, a, heart con- a heart condition that affects the body before it is born now the the umbilical stem cells now the umbilical stem cells are um, obtained from the cord blood and this is the blood which is 
remaining in the placenta and I've just been reported that uh, Professor is Professor Caputo is on the hold so we are just gonna have him online uh, hello Professor Hi, good morning good morning can you hear me yeah, yeah, yeah I can hear you loud and clear so uh, thanks for joining us uh, this is the breakfast show and uh, we were gonna we can ask you a bunch of questions is that all right for you that that's all right yes of course okay so let's start with the first question of today so the first question is that to uh, please just give us a background of the british heart foundation as in what it is and uh, how important it is so the british heart foundation you probably uh, you are aware is the biggest charity uh, to support uh, cardiovascular research um, and uh, um, it is uh, based in London, but it, it supports research all over the UK, um, Northern Ireland, um, and also co collaboration around the world. Um, I am one of the uh, several BHF uh, professor. Um, in fact, I am uh, the BHF professor of congenital heart disease, which is basically dealing with uh, um, uh, babies born with uh, um, um, with uh, with uh, you know holes and problem uh, and uh, and defects in the heart, which is the commonest uh, things babies are born with, uh, and they are um, you know supporting uh, um, uh, my research here in Bristol and all the collaboration we have established. Okay, and uh, the next question we have is that what are the stem cells actually? So stem cells are cells that have uh, the potential to. Uh, um, to differentiate uh, and, and uh, um, um, change, uh, adapt in, in, in the body to help uh, um, if, if, you, um, uh, if you understand to restore some uh, you know, function and to change in, in, uh, in um, different uh, other uh, cell lines that can help uh, the, the specific organ that we are dealing with. Um, so there are several types of, of stem cells, and you know I, I don't want to go into details. But basically, um, why we think they are so good in children? So because the, the, if you think of a, a child body, is a growing uh, body uh, and is very good in um, um, remodeling and repairing itself. Uh, and when you have a, a newborn baby with heart defects, um, we have to um, operate uh, on on these kids uh, and use a lots of material to uh, repair these defects, you know, like closing holes, changing valves, uh, and also putting tubes to connect um, missing parts of the of the heart. So uh, the idea behind use of stem cells seeded uh, into uh, a scaffold is that. Uh, this material can then grow with the child, remodel when the child grows, and avoid uh, further operation, uh, which are now very, very common because the, the material we use now um, uh, is not good enough because it fades, uh, it degenerates, it becomes, um, uh, you know, it, it becomes all calcific, and then we have to change it over and over again. And the next, okay, thanks for that. And the next question we have is that how are stem cells used to save a baby's life as in you have um, uh, given an answer to the question but if you can elaborate further that what is actually the use of it so uh, we have to be clear at the moment uh, uh, this is not uh, uh, used routinely the, there are 
um, examples of using stem cells in, in kids um, in, and in humans, but uh, it's only still a very experimental work. So we don't need to give the false impression that now uh, we can use stem cells to cure, you know, the hearts of, of every child because that's not the case. We we are working on it and it's still on the, uh, very much into the experimental phase. Now, the story of Finlay um, is uh, basically uh, a child, a neonate, who was struggling in intensive care and uh, we, uh, um, we have used all our possible surgical and medical treatment and was still not uh, making it. So uh, on compassionate base, we decided to uh, use a type of cells we have developed with the Royal uh, Free Hospital in London. This is the center we collaborate under um, the direction of Professor Mark Lodel who um, they, they have um, a, a cell line which we are working with um, to, um, for the research that we're doing, you know, to grow material and, and uh, that we can use in, uh, to repair the, the kids' hearts. And so then uh, when Finlay was in this state, we, um, uh, we approached the center in, in London, the Royal Free, um, and we asked if we could use on compassionate base uh, these, um, the cell lines we are working on uh, because we had no other alternative. So then we used this, um, this um, cell therapy for Finlay and um, in fact it worked because after we, we used he improved, the heart improved and he uh, was discharged from intensive care from the hospital and now he's two years after he's growing um, uh, and he's, he's, a, he's a great child. And, but, you know, again, I cannot, we cannot say, you know, one from this example we can generalize to, uh, to every child. So this is still very much early phase. We're hoping to start the clinical study in a year uh, or in, in around one year time uh, with use of this cells in collaboration with the, um, the Royal Free Hospital. And he has, uh, and according to my understanding, there are some limitations. I've just mentioned that this is the just a developmental phase. So, is there potential to further uh, develop these stem cells or not? I, I think so. There is huge potential. Uh, obviously, it's a long journey, but uh, there is huge potential because there is not just one type of cells, and there is not just one type of uh, uh, congenital problem. So, there are different uh, scenarios. And for each scenario, you have to uh, uh, tailor uh, the, the therapy. So uh, I, um, I'm hoping that in the next five years, we really personalize the treatment of this kid using uh, uh, cell therapy and tissue engineering, as it is called, because we uh, use the, the cell to seed on the tissue, and then we use for uh, the surgical repair. And I hope in the next five, ten years, this will be, the, the way we cure uh, congenital heart disease and other form of congenital anomaly. So not just the heart, hopefully a personalized medicine with user stem cell will become a routine. But there's still, uh, you know, uh, to become a routine, I think it will take at least another five to ten years. Okay, so it's, uh, according to you, it's a process uh, which is going on and experiments are going on. So we are not 100% uh, sure that we will be using it in, you can say, the wider perspective. So thanks for joining us and hope to, that you have a good day today and hope to see you soon again. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Thanks, Professor. Bye. Thanks indeed. So this was Professor from uh, the Heart Foundation.
and just to continue and just to give you the run, rundown of the Islamic perspective on this topic so it says in the Holy Quran uh, verses 191 and 92 of the chapter Al, uh, the, with the name of Al-Imran and it says that in the creation of heavens and the earth and in the alternation of the night and the day there are indeed signs for men of understanding those who remember Allah while standing, sitting, laying down on their sides and ponder over the creation of the heavens and the earth our Lord, you have not created this in vain nigh the holy are you Save us then from the punishment of fire. This verse shows that the remembrance of Allah in the, all the situations and cases in the signs of when and is a sign of wisdom. So such people are said to possess intellect. Therefore, their faith has a lot of value, and as it is based on their intelligence and their contemplation regarding Allah. Now. The Hazrat Mizam Masroor Ahmed, the head of the World Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he, and re- said regarding these verses that Allah the Almighty has mentioned the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the earth and the earth, and He has instructed us to reflect upon the true purpose of our creation of our of our creation. He has encouraged us to use our brain use our brains to ponder upon his creation and to search for new roads of human progress and innovation through research and reflection now reflection upon the true purpose of the creation allows us to bring about the innovation and to come up with the new ideas to enhance the quality of our lives doing so also allows us to gain knowledge now the and and also uh, further it says that the the prophet messiah uh, may please and peace and blessings of allah be upon him uh, husband Zagulam Ahmed from Qadian he has uh, you could say uh, 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 found the founder of Ahmadiyya Muslim community has stated that when a believer studies and ponders over the uh, celestial bodies and bodies and the entire universe and universe it causes their minds to open up and f- for them to become enlightened the result is that they are led towards a firm belief in the existence of god god almighty as they see the signs and the evidence of his existence all around them indeed allah the almighty has deemed humans as the best creation because because of the fact that we have been granted in intelligence and understanding we have been granted the ability to differentiate between the right and wrong we have been given the ability to think and to comprehend unique amongst all creation allah the almighty has given the mankind the insight to appreciate that whatever he has created has been made for our benefit on the condition that we use it in the right way certainly out of all the heavenly scriptures the holy quran is unique in terms of the vast amount of insight it has been given 
the about the universe and its inception and how it has encouraged scientific research and pursuit of knowledge now in regards to in this regard the promised messiah may peace and blessings of allah be upon him has stated that when a believer studies and ponders over the celestial bodies um, celestial bodies and the entire universe it causes their mind to open up for them and to become enlightened the result is that they are led towards a firm belief in the existence of god almighty on the other hand the the interests of the worldly and the non-religious researchers are infinite and narrow when they study something they access it in a limited way however a righteous person is not satisfied by merely identifying the dimensions dimensions of the world its material form or the calculations that uh, gravi- uh, the cal- calculating the gravitational forces nor uh, are they content by simply determining the main characteristics of sun the moon and the stars rather a true, true believer will continually strive and struggle to observe and understand the perfect uh, hum- harmony of nature and the world around us he or she will have an unquenchable thirst to identify the hidden characteristics or the potential of the physical world and as they realize it brilliance and perfection <coughs> its brilliance and perfection they will inevitably be drawn towards their creator and their faith in the existence of god almighty will be enhanced now consequently when an intelligent person reflects carefully upon the heavens and the earth the universe and why the length of the night and the day remains constantly in the state of flux it causes them to perceive the god almighty and to appreciate his perfect creation when they see the god almighty in this way and recognize his majesty they turn towards him with increased fervency and passion and seek his help and grace in their efforts to further understand and unlock the mysteries of the universe <coughs> so the just to elaborate further it says that what problems can be tackled by using so the using this technology how can we help so it says that the major problem tackled by this technology is the need for the repeated surgeries with the use of stem cells multiple surgeries will not be needed so that's the first advantage and secondly it says that this can increase the survival chances of the patients with the and the heart diseases and the other diseases as well with this where the stem cells can cure so not just the heart disease but the other diseases as well and the stem cells are very helpful now the stem cells technology may also be able to treat the other diseases for example the stem cell transplant in which the bone marrow no longer functions properly and the furthermore it says that uh it can cure it can help in the cure of cancer and parkinson's disease as well 
Now, the, as I've just mentioned, the Islam, Islamic perspective is mainly, uh, again, is reverts to the fact that I've mentioned earlier that we need to gain knowledge. And the, another, you can say, advantage of knowledge is that we further, you can say, develops an understanding of the uh, the fact that the existence of God and to how understand and how great the God is in order to understand that we need to have the knowledge and we need to have the knowledge of the universe now if we gain the knowledge of the universe we can reflect upon the fact that uh, God's creation is perfect and there is no defects in it and, and the the system of the universe created by the God Almighty is brilliant. Now, uh, the another point which I uh, just came across is that uh, as we are discussing the the operation to save lives, there's another uh, understanding in the Islam which is that the the value of life. Now, the value of life in Islam is. Uh, a fact which is not discussed uh, openly but in fact the teaching of Islam are that let's say uh, for example it's an imaginary scenario that someone is offering prayers okay and he sees he realizes the fact that uh, he's next to let's say for example a swimming pool and a baby is about to fall into it and he continues to pray and he does not strive to save the baby then uh, islamically he's doing the wrong he's he's not doing the right thing as in he needs to break his prayer take a break and go out there and save the kid so in in a way this shows you the fact that it is important to save someone's life and um, and the uh, obviously if he, uh, the further uh, you can say the in advanced way of doing that is to research and to gain no more knowledge of the understanding of the human body at different you can say age uh, as when when uh, someone is a kid when his baby kid and then an adult because the changes in the body happen and accordingly the medicine required or the operations required are different and another you can say tradition which I came across was the fact that uh, it says that if let's say for example your neighbor's house is on fire and you do nothing to save it then there is no use of you being so righteous so in a uh, another way it says that we need to strive in order to save lives and one way we can do that is like I've just mentioned that uh, by doing more research on how to um, understand the the uh, human body and how it works and obviously if it's uh, if we are ill then how can we uh, cu- uh, invent new cures to in order to tackle with the diseases and other you can say le- potentially life-threatening diseases as this one is because uh, if your heart is not working then well you are as good as dead so this is what uh, the another you can say tradition which I came across and <clears throat> and coming back to the fact that uh, the the not uh, the holy now the another example which uh, I can think of is that the holy prophet of uh, Islam the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him 
in fact in his during his lifetime he also uh, used some of the medical techniques in order to cure now uh, different techniques were used back in the days one was uh, cupping branding and some other techniques which were used uh, 1400 years ago but the fact that he instructed the his followers that you need to use these techniques in order to save lives and order to cure also gives you uh, um, uh, an Islamic perspective in a way that uh, not just the you can say the worldly aspect of it but in fact Islam also lays stress upon the fact that we need to do research and we need to use these methods in order to save lives and uh, it's not an uh, it says uh, in furthermore in one of the traditions that ma askara kasiruhu faqaliluhu uh, haram. Now, the tradition which I've just uh, uh, recited, uh, it's in Arabic, and the translation is that if uh, if a if a large amount of some intoxicant uh, causes you to lose uh, consciousness and then it breaks the connection from the brain from the body, then the small amount of it is also forbidden. Now, this tradition clearly shows you that. Every form of intoxicant is forbidden in Islam. But when it comes to saving lives, if even if you have to, even if, uh, when the doctor prescribes you some sort of a drug or something which in, does in fact uh, is intoxicant, you are allowed to use it. So in a way, the because uh, it's not the fact, uh, the fact, uh, the point here is that if something is useful and something is important for you, to, not just life-threatening, but in order to, let's say, uh, relieve pain, and the doctor prescribes you something which, in normal condition, under normal conditions, under normal circumstances, is forbidden, but according to, just for medical purposes, if the doctor prescribes it, then you have to use it. Not just, it's not the fact that you. Uh, are allowed to use it and the point here is that you have to use it in order to you can say relieve pain or cure that disease so it, the, the understanding which we can develop from this uh, narration uh, from this uh, scenario is that uh, you can use anything you have to and everything that you can in order to uh, cure and order to save lives and the, like I just mentioned that the Holy Prophet, he himself used different techniques when he was ill. Uh, obviously, those techniques are sometimes uh, are in a lot of the part of lots of the parts of the world are not used because the development and the advancement we have in uh, the field of med, uh, uh, you can say the biology. So. But just to mention the fact that uh, he did use them as well. So uh, Islam is no different from the uh, general understanding. And furthermore, uh, it says that you are not allowed to put your lives in danger as well. So this is the gist of the uh, a verse. I'm paraphrasing it. I'm not quoting it because but because I, I don't really... Uh, know the verse on top of my head but the understanding from this verse as well uh, is that we need to do research about the 
the human body and about the not just the human body but in a way it tells you that first up you need to gain knowledge second of all you need to know what things are harmful for you and what are not and if something is harmful for the human body then we need to refrain from it and it simply says that uh, you are not allowed to do anything which harms you harms you or well it which is life threatening and uh, now another thing which i would like to mention is that when someone is so yeah now coming back to the fact that uh, uh, as a, as the professor has also mentioned it how to carry out the you can say the this the the uh, the stem cell how to carry out the operation and the stem cells are used uh, just uh, have some other information to deliver now it says that the stem cells are obtained from the uh, cord blood and this uh, is the blood which is remaining which is in placenta and the umbilical cord after the birth of the baby this blood is rich with stem cells therefore it can be used to treat various diseases now it says that the cells have been uh, obtained uh, so, um, by the you can say the placenta so therefore they are preserved and remain viable for quite a long period of time so another you can say piece of information is that it's not just that once you have obtained them you have to use them there and then they can be used uh, after that as well so you can actually preserve them and use them after that now and the other thing that is that the stem cells are also the fda approved so therefore can be used to treat over 80 diseases so not just one or two not just the heart disease but in fact the 80 diseases it says uh, here that we can it can be used to um treat so that's it from my side and uh, we hope to see you again tomorrow same time at from 7 a.m. and thanks for listening